Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Luke chapter 11, titled, Whitewashed Tombs. Luke chapter 11, and we're going to be, if I can find my spot here, we're going to be down in verses 21 uh, through 28. Uh, there was a guy who uh, went to the doctor, annual checkup, you know, blood drawn and all that stuff, heart monitored, uh, just physical for insurance and other things, and uh, a couple days later, the doctor, uh, he gets a phone call from the doctor, and the doctor says, listen, I need you to come in right now. He says, I don't care where you are. I don't care what you're doing. He says, tell people you can't, you know, you, you've got to go somewhere. He says, I need, you to, I need you to be in my office in 10 minutes. It was like, you know, what kind of phone call is that? So, uh, so he does. You know, he rushes down there, and he goes to the doctor's office. The doctor said, I need you to sit down. He says, i got some super bad news. He said, what? He said, he said you got your test back, and... Uh, he said, you got 48 hours to live. He was just like, oh, you know, devastated. Got to call my wife, got to call my job, other things. And the doctor said, but before you do any of that, he says, I got worse news. He said, I've been trying to get this news to you for 24 hours, he said. <laughs> bad news. Bad news. And bad news is really bad sometimes, you know, and we need to be prepared for it. Uh, Someday, and today, in fact, particularly, Jesus has got some bad news for us. Bad news if we think being moral is all that matters. Uh, some bad news. Jesus has got some rough news for that. Last time we were together, last time I was here, we were looking at this passage where Jesus is uh, delivering this man from demon possession and the way the manifestation of the demon possession in his life, which apparently, according to the scriptures, they can be anything they want to be. Demon possession, that is, classically, that doesn't have a classic stance. But one of the ways they can manifest themselves, apparently, was in this guy. He couldn't talk. He was mute because of the demonic control. And as soon as the demon left, the guy could speak. And, of course, if you remember, if you were here, uh, the crowd, and it's there in, back in verse 14, if you would like to read it, but we're not going to take our time this morning. But the crowd immediately said, yeah, he delivered him from a demon, but he did it by the power of Satan. Or effectively, they didn't use the word Satan. They actually used the name Beelzebub or Beelzebul, depending on which one of the translations you have, which is a, which is a word the Jews invented as a slam. Satan is a title, if you will, that the Bible gives him. It means to be deceiver or accuser. But the slam that they came up with was this Lord. It means Beelzebub means literally Lord of the Flies, where we get the title. Anybody read the book you know, the, or seen the movie or whatever that is? Uh, not, not at all related in any way to what's being spoken of in the scriptures other than just simply the name. The word means Lord of the Flies in the sense of the flies that gather around a dunghill. So it's the poop. In other words, they're saying you're the poop God. It's, by the, it's, it's a slam uh, against Satan. So you're by the power of the poop God, by the power of the dunghill, you're the king of the dunghill. That's how he delivers them out. And Jesus is, uh, as I commented last time, not a redneck. Because if a redneck had been there, they'd have killed all of them, for sure. And my, my question is, I was contemplating that, thinking this morning, thinking, you know, why wasn't he a redneck? It didn't, it, how many of you ever had the question, hey boy, were you born, close the door, were you born in a barn? Jesus was born in a barn. How did he escape being a redneck? I don't understand it. His crib was a manger. He was raised in a small town. His dad was a blue-collar worker. How, would he not, how is he not a redneck? I don't get it. Well, we better be glad he's not a redneck. In fact, he's definitely not, uh, in the strict sense, for sure, because, because he is the Son of God. He dealt with them as God would, very graciously. God is being gracious to all of us. You know that, right? So you're not sitting around calling him the king of the dunghill, but he's still being very kind to you, not giving you what you do deserve, 
God is being very gracious to us, and he was being very gracious to them. He, he begins to, instead of calling them fire from heaven, which is what a redneck would have done, he begins to question their logic. He says, can't you see how logically this doesn't work? That it takes someone more powerful than Satan to cast out Satan? And so we pick up the story here in verse 21, Luke 11. Look at, look at it with me if you have your Bibles. Here's, here's his question. He says, oh, let's back into verse 20. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He says, You're, you only have one or two options here. Either Satan's casting out Satan, or I'm doing it by the finger of God. One, you made a good call. Two, you made a super bad call. And then he handled, hands them the logic. Here's the logic. If, if Satan is strong, then someone stronger has to cast him out. It only makes sense. So here's the logic. When a strong man, fully armed, speaking of Satan, guards his own homestead, his possessions are undisturbed. Notice how he refers to this man's physical body. It's the homestead of a demon. And that's pretty graphic, isn't it? So what does it mean to be demon-possessed? Demon lives in your body. That's the way the Bible describes it. He's going to give us a very classic description of that, very graphic here in just a bit. We're going to get to that. When a strong man fully armed guards his own homestead, his possessions are undisturbed. Why, why would Satan leave except that another stronger comes along? But when someone stronger, verse 22, then attacks him and overpowers him, this is now he's speaking of himself. He takes away from him his armor on which he relied and distributes his plunder. This guy is free because I set him free, and not by the power of God. So there's the logic for you. Their logic didn't make a lot of sense. But then he reads to them, even though not a redneck, he still draws a line definitely in sand here in verse 23. And we saw this last time, and we stayed on it last time, and we're sort of going to do that today. But he says, he who is not with me, guess what? Against me. It's impossible to be ambivalent about Jesus. There's no middle. We, we, we'd like to lie to ourselves and say there's some kind of, I'm not against Jesus, but I'm not this whole Jesus Savior thing. Well, guess what? You don't get to have Jesus your way, like the crowd did that laid the palm branches. They wanted Jesus their way, and when he didn't turn out that way, they had him killed. That's kind of the way it is. You could say, well, they're in favor of Jesus. They're singing hymns about Jesus, and they're laying palm branches and coats in front of him. Yeah, but listen to what Jesus says, because it's 100% accurate. If you're not with him, you're not fully with it. You're not trusting him as Savior. He didn't come to be a good example. You want to have him as a good example? You can't have him that way. He won't let you. He didn't come to be a miracle worker, even though he did commit miracles. That was not his purpose. He came to save you as the Son of God. If you won't have him that way, then you're against him. Jesus says, you're not for me. What? You're against me. He who does not gather with me scatters not willing to have him as king and lord and savior of your life, listen, you might as well call him the king of the dunghill because you're no different than the one who does. It's either one or the other. You're either a child of God or you're a child of Satan. There's not a third parent. Which one are you? Where do you fall? Again, we maintain because the scriptures maintain throughout. You have to have a personal encounter with Jesus, the Savior, and accept him as your Savior. What good is it for you to know that he's the Savior? How are you different than the devil? Hell's going to be a place of, of incredible education. Do you know that? Everybody's going to be informed there. It's part of what's going to make it hell. All the things that you should have, should have paid attention to, but you didn't. Hell's going to be very educated. 
So, so you're educated about Jesus. You know that he's the Savior. You know he's the Son of God. Great! How's that making you better than the devil who's going to be in hell with you? So you have to accept him as Savior. That's something the devil isn't going to do. Have you done that? Has there been a personal encounter in which you've allowed Christ to be what only he came to do, nothing else, to be your Savior? He came to, as the Scripture says, seek and to save that which was lost. You're willing to say you're lost? And allow Jesus to find you. See, that's the thing. You can't be ambivalent about him. He won't let you do that. He won't let you. Either a child of God or a child of Satan. There isn't a third parent. There is a deceptive, that's what I want to spend our time talking about today, is a deceptive middle ground. I say deceptive because there is no such thing. But many are deceived. I should say most. I think the, 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 the extremes, those who are clearly a ch children of God and those who are clearly children of Satan are extremes. They're, they're few in number. The, the, the deceptive middle ground holds the masses. And let me explain it to you this way. So there's the child of God who places in faith in Christ, just like the Scripture says. Again, they don't have Jesus the way they want him. They have Jesus the way he's presented, the way he is. And have Jesus the way you want him. Listen, you might as well be like the crowd that uh, cried for his crucifixion. Not the way Jesus, you want Jesus to be, but the way that he is. Jesus as Lord, Jesus as King, Jesus as Savior. So those are the clear children of God. Then there's the obvious children of Satan who turn their back on God, who hate God, who turn their back on Christ and the salvation that Jesus offers. They, they live freely and happily in their wickedness. They're not moral and they don't care. They love their immorality. So those are the extremes. Children of God, obviously. The children of Satan, obviously. The uncertain middle is what I want to talk to you about today. This, this deception of the middle Children of Satan, unrecognized as such, hear me, who don't hate God, don't hate his laws. In fact, they may be very moral. They may be the people you voted for this year or last year. Because why? You vote for moral people, right? We don't want to go in party lines. Please tell me you don't do that. Moral lines. Moral, righteousness exalts a nation and unrighteousness takes it down. That's where we vote. We're not voting on names or political parties or... In that, although, obviously, in some ways, the political parties have lined up along those lines. I understand that. But individually, no. Morals. Morals. But, but, but this middle ground is a moral ground. It's conservative. It has rules and ethics that they follow. Righteousness, but self-righteousness. That position is a very dangerous position. That's the position Jesus is going to take on today, as we're going to see here in the Scriptures. We're in favor of morals, right? As opposed to immorality. I mean, what are you going to vote for? I want a bunch of immoral people to rule this nation. Apparently somebody did. Seems like to me. <laughs> Maybe I'm just super conservative, and I am definitely a redneck and was pretty close to a barn when I was born. I will confess all those things. But I'm in favor of morals as opposed to immorality, right? For the, for the nation, for the group. I mean, I, you're better off for me. For me, I'm better, I'm better if you're immoral. And I'm, you're better if I'm moral. But let me just say this as far as you're concerned with your own personal life. Hear me on this. You're better being immoral without Christ than being moral without Christ. Being moral without Jesus. Cleaning your life up without Jesus is very dangerous. I'm going to show that to you. Again, this is not me coming up with stuff. I'm going to tell you that because that's exactly what Jesus teaches. Again, we don't have Jesus the way we want him. We have Jesus as the way he presents himself. That's who we take. So morality potentially is more dangerous for you than immorality. 
Potentially. Hmm. Let me show you. So you clean your life up, adopt a new standard, turn over a new leaf, new way of living and acting. You got rid of your addictions and your debauchery, and you've uh, changed and gone a different way. You've adopted a new system, and you're following that system to the best of your hearts, but you haven't. You've done all that without Jesus. You've gotten spiritual without Jesus. You're in grave danger. So, because reformation without regeneration is a very dangerous place. It's very dangerous. Like I said, Jesus is going to give us a very graphic illustration of that here in just a second. You're in grave danger. Reformation, you've transformed your life. You've gotten moral without trusting a Savior. You've done it on your own power. Jesus is going to give you a descriptive of what you've just done to yourself and what can happen to you if you aren't very careful. Let's take a look at this graphic illustration that Jesus gives us here in verses 24 and following. So he's not with me, verse 23. He's against me. And then he goes back to this whole demon possession thing, except he's not talking about the man who he just delivered from demon possession. He's talking about the group who's saying he's from the king of the dunghill. He says, when an unclean spirit, this is very clear, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, so unclean spirits can live in men and women, yep, 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 deal with it. I don't know what to say. Bible's in the Bible, deal with it. Unclean spirits do that. They leave. Unfortunately, they return. Passes through waterless places. Of course, their spirits is not talking about literal water. They're, they're dependent upon physical human beings to accomplish their purposes. And outside of human beings, they're kind of, it's like being in a desert for them. So not finding any rest, it says, he says, I will return to my house. Oh, that is a very important word, right? The word my. You might want to underline that one. Notice it never was the guy's house. It was the demon's house. See, we'd like to think there's a middle ground. So I'm either God's, or I'm Satan's, or I'm just me. No, there's no me. There's no me. You, You never own the house. It's either one, or it is the other. And you have to decide. In fact, purpose in life. You want to, what is my purpose in life? That is your purpose in life. You need to decide where you're going to fall for all eternity. It's a big decision. Super big. So he says, I'm going to return to my house, the demon says, because it is his. How do we know? Because he just walks right in. He walked out, he walked in. And when he comes, notice, he finds it swept and put in order. This guy cleaned his life up, got his morals right, got himself off the street, got himself corrected, apologized to everybody he knew, and guess what? Did it make him better? No. Actually, it made him worse. Then he goes and takes along with him seven spirits more evil than himself. They are all bad, demons are. Some are worse. This guy is eight times worse, seven times worse, or even more, depending on the, mul- the multiplication factor you want to use here for how evil these things are. And they go in and they live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Why? Because he got moral without Jesus. He reformed, but he wasn't regenerated. He got religious. But he didn't accept the Savior. So there's a huge problem with that. You're better, it, not to say we're voting for immorality here, but you're better staying immoral. At least you only get one demon in the factor that we're talking about here. At least you only had one. See, what you may not understand, you may say, well, and, and by the way, just, just so we're clear about who Jesus is talking to, he's not talking about the riffraff, he's talking about the religious. The religious are the ones that are accusing him of doing this by Beelzebub. It's not the riffraff. He didn't have a problem with the riffraff. 
the, 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 the immoral person out there didn't really cause Jesus problems at all. It's the moral people. So here, here's the same story in Matthew. It says, the last condition of that person, so it ends the same way, but he adds, Matthew adds a part of what Jesus said that Luke does not. The last condition of that person becomes worse than the first, so he goes eight demons instead of just one. And that, Jesus adds, is the way it will be also, also be with this evil generation. He's talking about the Pharisees, Sadducees, the lawyers. These were, and you say, well, of course. I mean, these are the guys that sold Jesus for a bag of silver. Had him executed on trumped up charges. Of course these people are that way. See, what you don't understand is that they were the moral right. They were the religious right. They were, if you will, the Judeo-Christian ethic for the culture. They were the guys that would have been doing your books. They were the guys that you would have voted into office. They were the Republicans, can I say that? (laughs) That's who they were. They were held up as the standard to be if we just can... If my boy can just be like Pharisees so-and-so, maybe there'll be hope for him because they were considered to be the best. They had a moral code that could not be crossed. I mean, complex ethic code. Demanded control of moral standards in every way. They were extremely moral. Very moral. Any, any I mean, about the way they dressed? I mean, you got con- anybody conservative here? I like to think of myself as conservative. Nobody here is as conservative as these guys. They were the poster children of conservative ethics. Got any women here with short pants on? I see a knee. <laughs> Do you know, they're, you know, of course, we, we like to think of, of Muslim as being these ultra-conservative, make the women all dressed, you can't see any skin, just the slits of the eyes. That was not, that's not Muslim, that's Middle Eastern. That's old Middle Eastern. That's the way the Jews were originally with their women. They were extremely conservative. You didn't see skin. You you dressed a certain way. You washed your hands a certain way. They had code upon code upon code upon code, all kinds of stuff. They were extremely conservative, extremely moral, extreme, just to the great extremes. So, so, So don't come with this, oh, they were the worst people. No, they were considered the best. But their morality did nothing for them. In fact, it made them worse. They're the same ones that had Jesus killed. See, what happens is the morality gained them nothing. In fact, it made them far worse because they were people who cleaned their house, right? How clean can you get this thing? How clean? How straight can we have it? Our women are dressed in a certain way. Our men are handling a certain way. Our words, our actions, everything that we do. We wash our hands seven times before we have a meal. I mean, how could you be more moral and religious and, and the Judeo-Christian right than they possibly any more possibly than they could be. None! And yet they had cleaned the house, very clean. They left it empty. No Savior. So you got a clean house, that's awesome. I'm going to vote for you. I'm glad that you're moral, you do me a lot of benefits. But I'm just saying your morality without Jesus may not do you any good whatsoever. In fact, it may make you way worse. Way worse. They clean the house, but Jesus says, but you're open and kicking the door wide open for more of the worst stuff. The condition of those people were worse in the end than it was in the beginning. Morality did them no good. Talk, talk to me about your morality. Like I said, I'm glad you're moral, as opposed to being immoral. But if you don't fill the house, you, you clean the house, but you haven't sold it to the Savior, you're in trouble. It was the morality that perceived righteousness 
that made them think that they were okay. And they weren't. Didn't need a Savior. They were their own Savior, you see. Put them in a very bad place. So, so they were like Jesus describes in another place, and we'll, we'll see that in a minute, as whitewashed tombs. So you're traveling through the Middle East in the first century, you come across these beautiful ornate houses that were pearly white. And sometimes this was a house that someone lived in. Sometimes, though, you would think, well, I would love to live in a place like that. You find out it was built for a dead person. You go inside, there's a coffin in there. Wow. From the outside, it looks like a great place to live. From the inside, no. We travel, if you're, I know all you're going to go to Israel with this this fall, right? Nod your head, yes. We may not get to go ever again. Come on. We haven't been gone for two years. You go to Israel with us. We went a couple of years ago, three or four years back. We got to go to a place called Petra. You've heard of Petra before? That's where they have stuff like this. It's in Jordan. It's not in the land of Israel. Petra, Petra is a place. This is an edifice, but it's carved out of solid face of the rock. That's a big mountain there, a big granite mountain, big sandstone mountain. And the Arabs of the first and second century had a lot of money because the, the, the camel trade had to pass through this region. It was a very tight canyon. In order to pass through, they had to pay a tax to these Arabs that lived there, and they had to use their water because there wasn't any other water. These guys got filthy rich. The problem is they live in the middle of nowhere. Where are you going to spend it? you got a stack of gold the size of this room, and there's no Walmarts, there's no Amazon. Your wife can't go to, I don't know, the mall. There's not one of those. Where are you going to spend it? So guess what they did? They hired architects and stonemasons and sculptors out of Greece and out of Rome, the best that money could buy because they had the most money. And they had them build, come and carve, paid them millions of, in equivalent of millions of dollars to carve these edifices like that, like this one. Look at that. See, that's just a stone face. Like I said, don't you want to go to Israel with us? Come on. Anybody see, you know, uh, what is it, Raiders of the Lost Ark? That was in one of the, in one of the scenes. Incredible, carved straight out of it. Here's just another picture, just sort of some of the, just they were everywhere. Just one after another, after another, after another. They're gorgeous, they're beautiful, they spent tons of money on them. It's all great and wonderful. You're all like, wouldn't that be cool to live in a place like that? I mean, you don't got to lock no doors because, man, who, who's going to come through a mountain and get you, right? All wonderful and great, they look awesome until you realize that they were never intended for anybody living. They are all tombs, 100%. No living person ever lived there. All that money for that. Just a, looks great, right? Anybody ever travel to Egypt? We're not going to Egypt, but just so you know. One of the places of attraction you may have never heard of, it's called the Great Pyramid. You know what a pyramid is? It's one of them. It's just a building to hold a dead person. It's awesome. It's great. We travel the whole world. We pay a ton of money, and they did too, to build what? Just a grave. That's all it is. That's exactly what Jesus says these guys are. They look awesome from the outside. They've got everything clean. Everything's in order. They've got code upon code upon rule upon religious observance upon this and that. They are the moral ultra right. Everybody votes them in. Everybody loves their morals. But their morals have done nothing for them. In fact, it's made them worse. Far worse. Listen to what Jesus has to say about the moral right of his day. Turn, turn, look, next page for me, verse 37. So, so, so they look like that on the outside. I'm going to go back to the other one because I think it's really cool. Look like that. Beautiful edifice, strong, clean. What a place. Wouldn't you want to live there? But in fact, on the inside, nothing but dead stuff. Verse 37. 
Luke 11. Now when Jesus had spoken of this, the Pharisees asked him to have a lunch date with him. And he went in and reclined at the table. So he's eating lunch with these guys, these morals, these ultra-rights. And when the Pharisees saw, saw it, he was surprised that, that Jesus had not ceremonially washed his hands because these guys wash their hands seven times before a meal, every time, never, never fail, from childhood. Very religious, very conservative, never missed a beat. Jesus doesn't follow their rules. They're like, oh, he's not a moral person. And then this is Jesus about to give you an example of how to break up a lunch date. Here you go, verse 39. Wow. Now you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup, right? That's the way it looks on the outside. And of the platter of your lives, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You put on a show. But in fact, there's no Savior. Just a hollow shell. Nothing but dead. You foolish ones, did you not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is that which is within as charity, and then all things will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees! For you tie the mint and rue in every kind of garden. Like I said, very strict. Very moral. Yet you disregard justice and the love of God. These are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees! For you love the front seats in the synagogues and the respectful places in the marketplace. They look great from the outside. They're the guys you voted for. They're the guys you hired as your accountants. Because you know they're not going to lie to you. They're not going to fudge the numbers. Woe to you, he says, for you are like concealed tombs. The people walk over you and they're not even, not even aware of it. You're hiding behind your morality. We do that. That's the, the deceptive middle. It's the deceptive middle. Actually, they're children of Satan. The Bible tells us that because they're not for Jesus. Or they're for their version of Jesus, but Jesus is not for your versions. It's not up for you to decide who he's going to be. Jesus is who he is. Either, except either, as he says, you either take him or you leave him. You either have him as Savior or you don't. But one is he's your Savior. The other one, you're a child of God. And the other one's your child of Satan. There's not a middle ground. There's not a middle ground. You're still inside dead. So I'm all moral and all cleaned up. But I have no room for the Savior. They successfully cleaned their lives up. They made no place, though, for the Savior. They could do nothing to fill the void. Because either you're for Jesus or you're for Satan. Very religious. Very clean. Very moral, even had good feelings to a certain degree towards Jesus because Jesus kind of bowed to their wills there for a while, at least it seems to be. It's a dangerous place. How dangerous is moral reform without Jesus? This is how dangerous it is. Because Jesus says it, it will kick the door wide open. Wide open. Let's, let's go back to, to uh, what it says here. So he goes, the demon does, and takes seven more spirits because he goes back to his own house, right? Seven more spirits. And they go in and live there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first, even though he cleaned his life up. Even though he got off his drugs and alcohol, even though he got himself off the street, even though he got himself a good job, even though he's right, even though he's got more morals and more codes than you ever thought about having, and he keeps them. Morals did him no good. None at all. It's interesting, the term that the demon used here, verse 24, again, like I said, I will return to my house. How do we know it's his house? he could walk right in. See, it's never your house. See, that's the deception of the middle. It's my life. Do what I want to with it. I can be ambivalent to Jesus. All you need to do with Jesus is do nothing. You're a child of Satan. Just a fact. 
I didn't write this. But Jesus sure did. You need to listen to him. You need to listen. Have you had an encounter with the Savior in which you've trusted? I'm not asking if you know who Jesus is. Satan knows that. How are you better than Satan? Hell's going to be informed about that. How are you not a whitewashed tomb? It all looks good on the outside. Your mom and everybody else says you're great. Awesome. What's on the inside? Have you actually, so you've cleaned the house up. Have you now got it ready to sell and sell it to the Savior? Nothing wrong with repentance. That's great. Let's get moral. Let's do that. God's in favor of morals, but don't just leave it empty. Sell it to the Savior. Sell it. Put it up for sale because he is buying, I'm telling you right now, he's paid a dear price for you. Jesus, again, interestingly enough, almost never had a problem with immoral people. So he goes to another dinner date that he breaks up in a similar way to the ones we just read. And the Pharisees, you know, wondering, you know, got these judgment calls against Jesus because they're so moral. And in through the back comes a woman who doesn't say anything to Jesus, but she begins to wet his feet with her tears and wipe his feet with her hair. She never says anything. She's an immoral woman. She's a woman of the street. She leaves, according to the scripture, she leaves forgiven, and the man didn't. So he's moral, but he doesn't need a savior. This woman knows who she needs. Jesus hardly ever has a problem with a prostitute or a tax collector or a criminal or a riffer. The only criminal I know of was hanging on the cross. One of them accepted him, one didn't, right? Other than that, nobody of the lower levels, if you could say that, had a problem. Jesus had a problem with it. It was the high people, the moral people, the quote-unquote godly people. You don't want a house, hear me, that's moral but empty. Don't do it. You're better off immoral. If you're not going to have Jesus as your Savior, stay immoral. Stay that way. Because to clean yourself up, to kick a demon out, and not sell to the Savior means potentially seven times, hundred times worse. Not a good state. Kick a door wide open for whatever the original owner wants to do. Mm -mm. I want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me, please, as we reflect on what this says to us. What is God saying to you? What is God saying to you? Like I said early on with his kids, you can't have Jesus the way you want him. He won't let you. Either you're for me or against me, he says. He won't even let you define what being for him is. Being for him means you accept him for as he presents himself. The Son of God, the Savior to pay for your sins because you can't be made right with God yourself. Because even though you're moral from here on, what are you going to do about the previous sins? There's no statute limitations on those things. Those are eternal crimes. You've broken God's laws. Who's going to take care of that? Well, you've got an option. Either one, you pay for it in a place called hell forever. Or you accept what Jesus paid for it on a cross. The eternal king paying for eternal crimes. See, that's what it takes for us to believe that he's the Savior. To accept him as our Savior. Would you like to have him as your Savior? Maybe you would like to pray a prayer or something like this. Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. And forgive me of my sins. You didn't come ultimately to show a good example or heal people you came to rescue me lord we want to be for you because if we're not we're against you 
for you, for who you say you are. The Son of God, the only sacrifice for sin. Thank you so much, Lord, for being that for us. We celebrate that today, every day, but especially this special week in which we remember what you've done for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.